Why square board? Why square board? Now girl is the why square board? Why square board? Why square board? Now girl is the why square board? Alright, this is Yasmin Bilkis Brian. And this is Yasmin Metz Johnson. We, we are Y Square Pod. Welcome back to tuning into the pod, y'all. So, uh, we're gonna dive in our interesting fact, and then we'll introduce our special guest. So, our interesting fact is that Sierra Leone um, uh, has been inhabited for over two thousand five hundred years. This is, of course, before the colonizers and invaders came and made uh, boundary boundaries between different countries. So, the landmass of Sierra Leone itself has been inhabited for over 2,000 years um, by different uh, African settlers in the region. Thanks for the interesting fact, yes. And now we are going to introduce our special guest. We have Mr. Yusuf Ujano in the building. A.K.A. Cowfoot Prince. Prince. <laughs> Welcome. So thank you so much for having us. So, all right, ladies. Um, it's great to be here. It's great to be with you. And um, and sitting down here to have this conversation. I'm so it's glad great. we were able to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Before we dive into the interview, uh, could you explain the story behind Calfoot Prince? Like, what's the story behind the name? Mm-hmm. Uh, Calfoot Prince is, um, uh, you know, it came about casually, but um, as time, you know, went by, the importance of the name itself became clear to me. So it wasn't a deliberate. Uh, um, um, creation per se, but it's um, what on you know on a higher plane, it was deliberate. Right. It's just okay. at the time I was not really quite, I wasn't aware of what I was, um, what what I was creating or what the ancestors were creating through me. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. So, but the idea of the cow food, I found out later on that actually I'm fuller, and fuller people are synonymous to cows. <laughs> right mm-hmm. and um and so cow is very much within the uh within the cultural context of any fulani person mm-hmm. um right across africa mm-hmm. cows are always in the most of fuller people so that is part of my culture the idea of the food cow food because it could be cow beef or cow liver or, or cow belly <laughs> but instead it is cow food and the idea of the cow food is to be rooted within your culture, to stand firm within your own culture, your own heritage. Um, and the idea of the prince is, is, uh, is, is a metaphor for success. That's when you're rooted within your culture, within yourself, you become successful. Mm-hmm. Now, that is one level. The other level is to, be, is, to be, uh, is to know what your gift is, what your talent is mm-hmm. or are. Um, let's take Muhammad Ali, for example. His cow food would be boxing. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. And he stuck to his talent and used his talent to immensely influ- influence the entire world. Mm-hmm. You know, he was one of the most popular person the world over for many, 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 many decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <coughs> so I love to <coughs> encourage other people as well to know what's your own cow food, what's your talent, what's your natural gift that you've been blessed with. Nice. Um, and this is not just because we're saying, oh, you know, I've been to university, so I studied to become a doctor or a lawyer. That might not necessarily be your natural gift. Right. Your natural gift is something, what is it that that really you get up and you feel like, God, I could do this from your day natural in calling. day. Yeah. Your natural calling. You understand? Uh, Muhammad Ali did boxing um, per se, but he used that to speak up. He was an incredible... Um, I'm statesman, 
you know, so he had all of these other stuff. So each person liked to, you know, encourage other people. What's your cow foods? What's your talent um, that you've been given to come and bless our world? You know, in Nigeria, among the Yoruba people, they say that um, before you are born, the last thing or last part of your body that you choose before you are born is your ori, your head. Your ori is your head. Oh. Yes. So your ori, you choose it. That's your gift. That's your intelligence. That's your talent. Mm -hmm. You choose it. You see? Now then you come with it. So once you choose that and then you come with it, you're now going to have to use that to bless others. Sadly enough, what happens is many people are born and they come with a natural ability, but the educational paradigm that is being set many times negates your natural gift yeah. or devalues your natural gift. Mm -hmm. So whether you're an, um, you might be a, an artist, a drummer, or a dancer, or a singer, you might even be somebody who's good at sanitation. Mm -hmm. You know, you have somebody who's particularly fixated about cleaning and, and making sure things are in certain order. All those are specific gifts and there's places for people like this. But we don't have an, an educational paradigm that values all of these things. Mm, so what happens is many people are born, they have this talent, but they realize they can't do none of this at all. Instead, they go through a school system and get them to do jobs and live lives that to wake up in the morning to go to certain jobs gives them headache. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so this is what we find a lot in America. This is what we find a lot in, in England and many of the European world where people wake up in the morning just to go to work. They have in migraines. Mm -hmm. I mean, the largest number of heart attacks happen Sunday night to Monday morning. Oh, oh really? wow. Absolutely. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you want to just um, explain to the audience who you are, like how you would describe what you do? Oh gosh. Um, well, I am. Uh, I see myself. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a storyteller. I'm a, you know, I'm a performer. I'm an educator. Um, uh, I'm, I see myself as an architect for social change and no, cultural awakening. And um, and so, so this kind of combination, um, for me, I think, it kind of like just captures what really I am about. Yeah. I'm about, you know, awakening us to. Um, to our culture, um, uh, um, some of our traditions, obviously, but also um, to educate people about. I want, yeah, as a storyteller, I want to bring you back to yourself. Mm -hmm. I is like I want to show you here as a mirror. Mm -hmm. See your reflection. Right? <laughs> do you like it? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't, what are you going to do about it? Gotcha. If you do, how are you going to improve on it? Mm -hmm. You know. And I think that's important as a storyteller, right. you know. Mm. But why do you think storytelling is so important? Because everything is a story. Everything. The success or failure of every family, community, person, country, whatsoever, is entirely dependent on the story that you perceive, you conceive, you believe, you accept, and eventually act upon. Mm -hmm. That is really the long and short of it. 
you know, um, <clears throat> Africans have been told stories before that we are barbarians, that we are backward, um, that we could not build pyramids, that we, we've been told all these stories, that we have no medical abilities, we've been told stories that we're only slaves, we've been told stories, and so we've believed these stories. And for as much as we believed it and even accepted these stories, so our vocabulary is limited to yes, sir, master, yes, sir, yes, yes, madam, you know, yes, sir, madam, yes, sir, yes, sir. yes, I will only love you, madam, I will love you, madam, I will love you, my dear sir, yes, yes, sir, you know, and now in Sierra Leone we have Brayu Bobodea, you know, yeah, your boy is here. Right, yeah, they're not even yeah, embarrassed to yeah. say. And the, in most of the case, like for Yasmin, neither older than us, like, ah, yeah, you got to I'm right. like, bruh, I should be bruh, looking uncle. at you. Right. Uncle, in yeah. fact. Right. This is crazy, isn't it? Yeah, because crazy. the narrative that we've been told, so stories are important. And that's why I think asking yourself every time, what story are you telling now? Mm-hmm. What story are you, do you want others to hear of you? It Absolutely. is so, so important. So important. So this is why I think storytelling is so important. I know maybe you might be talking about the traditional stories of the, you know, brass spider stories or, or so on. Um, but those are also, you see, those stories are important because that's when you learn to discover the truth within the lie. Mm. You see, you've got to learn to discover the truth within the lie. Very important. So <coughs> our ancestors did not tell us stories because they just wanted us to sit down and then they just conjure up some stories. They told us stories because they wanted us to, to make sense of how nature works mm-hmm. and the rules of this mother nature. Okay. So when did you discover your gift for storytelling? Interestingly enough, um, the stages are different for me. Yeah, um, so it didn't, definitely did not just happen one day um i always loved storytelling so growing up in kamakwe was always um <clears throat> was always lovely because as i sat with my grandmother and my uncles every night we just listen to stories as children you just literally just sit down at night and just enjoy stories um then i got into theater um which in itself of course it's storytelling but i never saw it as storytelling so reading shakespeare and all this stuff these are all storytelling you know but we hardly recognize them as storytelling we just think it's a book you see Mm -hmm. we see it's a play but we don't say it's a story being told you watch a film it's a story so that process i went through it through drama then i went through um going to america you know, doing some drama, more drama training there after being with Tabule Theatre in Sierra Leone. Okay. And then, um, uh, then got to England, then started working as an apprentice there um, with, a, with an African theatre company called Zuria under another Sierra Leonean man called John Adewoli at the time. And he would take me to different schools and we would do little storytelling for the children. But I really did not see that something that major because it just for me it just comes naturally right. mm. so there was that phase that i went through <coughs> i was looking more at dancing and drumming and of course acting that's more where i was looking at and then moved on from that phase um to the point where i started working for myself creating my own work and then 
friends started telling me, Yusuf, your calling is storytelling. And it took me a while for me to believe that storytelling, you're kidding? No, man, I've got to drum, I've got to dance, i got to this, i got to that. <laughs> but you're like, no, storytelling is your calling. Um, and I remember a few friends, you know, Kat, for example, is a good friend of mine called Kat from Jamaica. And, uh, and, and, and eventually I thought, okay, I'm going to do storytelling then. So I took it on. Um, and that's when the change started happening or the shift started happening in my career. You know, um, I just decided, okay, this was maybe, this is maybe going 10 years ago. I said, I'm going to go into a storytelling competition somewhere in Bristol. So I just jumped in my vehicle like, and just went to the storytelling competition from London. And without bragging about it, but literally just wiped the whole. <laughs> yeah. You owned it, I literally owned everybody there. And, um, you know, but um, it was interesting at that time just to see that, wow, this thing is really rocks. But, but I knew I was that good, okay. but never taking it. it. Yeah, yeah. The, because valuing what you do that you know is good is a different something which as Africans we got to really learn. Valuing what we have that is so good. We mm-hmm. tend to just take it for granted. 100%. You see? 100%. So it took a while. Um, when I kept doing it and everywhere I went, people were like, God, this is new. Wow, you're so wonderful. Why? I'm like, really? You know? But one day you reach a point where I wanted to get to another level. Mm. You know, because with storytelling, there's different levels of storytelling. Mm. You see, there is a, there is a, there is storytelling. There's good storytelling. Then there's transformative storytelling. These three categories are very important. You know, most people do storytelling. Not many people do good storytelling. Yeah? And very few do transformative storytelling. Now, that's the level where I was looking at to get to where do I make a difference. And eventually... I kept asking the question until one day, um, one day the answer came to me and, and I had to have a, a clear definition of what it is I am, who I am. I had to have that clear definition. Mm-hmm. And once that came to me, one morning while I was out meditating, that's when, you know, balloons start exploding everywhere <laughs> and the fireworks started happening because you come to that realization that this is it. Right. I am a storyteller. Great. I am an architect for social change and cultural awakening. Yeah. Had that realization. Yes. Because you do it all along. Right. Yeah. Until that one moment. Until that one moment. That's when you realize, mm. freaking Nara, this is it, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know like what dancing around it the whole time. Right. Just yeah. to realize, like, you, oh, okay. You I've see, <laughs> it's, it's almost like branding it. It's right, yeah, exactly. suddenly putting a stamp to it and you say, this is it. You see, because then the next level is acceptance. Right. You see, many times we do the, we do the, I call it now, uh, we come to the realization, but sometimes we don't accept it. Mm-hmm. You see, because when you accept it, something else happens. Nature brings to you every opportunity to make it the best. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Nature just does it for you because nature wants the best for you. Mm-hmm. So, is your thing sanitation? 
Is it about cleaning toilets or whatsoever? When you accept it, nature creates inventions for you and all these ideas begin to flow to make sure you do the best for it. And then you begin to attract the kind of living you want from it. Because you fully embraced it. Because you fully embraced it. And I think this is where we shortchange ourselves many times. We shortchange ourselves because we do not see um, that all embracing. Yes. You know, I'll give you an example. One day I was in, um, in Kamakuye. And usually I give talks to the young people there. And I asked them um, about how many, of them, <coughs> how many of them want to make money. And of course, everybody's hand is up. Of course, myself included. Right. <laughs> so I asked them, what is money? What is money? Can you answer? What is money? Well, well, <laughs> it's that thing that makes you buy things. <laughs> is that that makes you buy things? Well, money is the reward you get for offering a service. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? It's the reward. Many people think it's like you say, it's the thing that makes you buy things. No, money is the reward you get for offering a service. It has to work like that. Money right. does not come just out of the blue like that. Mm. You offer a service and then you get the reward. Right. So, so I suggested to these young people, what service are you prepared to offer for you to get this reward? So it might come in terms of the paper that they say is money. Right. It might come in terms of somebody giving you a house, a car, somebody give, giving you a, clo- a piece of cloth mm-hmm. or whatever. But it's a reward you get. Right. So once you get in your head that you need to offer a service, then you've got to decide what service do I offer. Mm. So I suggested to them, what if you do sanitation business? In Sierra Leone, we'll say kakabila business. <laughs> and they all really like, ah. So I said, yes. Yeah, it's an honest living. But you and I know kakabila business in Europe is multi-billion. Yeah, exactly. How many of us buy toilet seats? Right. Everybody poo every single day. Mm -hmm. So we need good, nice toilet seats. So I suggested to them, what if any one of you, four or five of you, gather together to make toilet seats? Very good idea. In your whole village. People still do the way which just just stood down. Right, between the hole. Mm -hmm. What if you guys could come up with convenient ways for people to do it? Right. Clay is free. Water is free. Everything. You don't even need to reinvent the wheel. Mm. It's already been invented for you. You can just go and create this and boom. And you're in business. To buy one toilet seat here in Freetown is 500,000 leons. That's just the basic. Mm -hmm. So, if then... Like for the whole toilet or just the seats? Just the seats. (coughs) Just the seats. What then if you could make yours and you sell it 100,000 leons? Mm-hmm. By the time you sell four a month or five in one month, 500,000 leons up in Kamakwe, who gives you 500,000 leons a year? So I suggested this to them. Mm-hmm. I said, you could start this. This is a business for you. I'm giving you the idea for free. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right. So, but they would not accept. No, of course not. That is his viable business. Mm-mm. Right. So no wonder many people are in the States where they are. They're not able to discover their gifts. They're not able to discover their cow food. Mm. I had challenges 
thinking of myself as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. People ask me, what do you, I'm, um, I'm an actor. I want mm-hmm. to ask you that. How did you accept that you're a storyteller? Because I'm always saying that you're a product of your environment. And I can only imagine, like, growing up when you did, like, how do you explain that to your parents? I'm a storyteller. Like, how did they... I, I mean, I never had to explain to my parents, thankfully speaking, because um, my dad, my dad, before he, before he passed, um, always, you know, he knew I, I did theater, you know, I did okay. acting, yeah. okay. but, um, but he never took it seriously. He never, he just mm. thought, ah, you know, um, um, I wanted to be a lawyer and, uh, he says, no, lawyers don't go to heaven. So I must not do law. So so the idea of studying to become a a doctor um, meant, you know, for here, they say if you want to become a doctor, you have to know mathematics, which I think is so wrong. It is so wrong. It is um, not the way to go through, but that's another topic altogether. But again, I couldn't go into science stream because I don't know maths. So that left me with only drama and, and theater. But I did it, okay. you know, as more as a pastime. But it is the one place when I went to what we call Waterfront, Waterfront Arts Barry mm-hmm. at that time with the late, the late Charlie and Dennis Streeter. Um, when we went down to the waterfront, that's where I felt most comfortable. Mm-hmm. That's where I felt I am being me. There was drums, there was dance, there was a way I could express myself mm. freely. And I had elders who would guide me, who would appreciate what I did. <coughs> that was special. Okay. You see? But I did not see storytelling. Right. You see what I'm saying? So, but that, to accept and say, I am a storyteller. I'm a professional storyteller. That took years to come by. Mm. Took years. I can imagine. But other people in, in England, mostly white people, mm-hmm. were calling themselves storytellers. But I couldn't. Because the struggle <laughs> I had was that there's another narrative that was going on <laughs> at the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And that narrative was that to be an artist, a storyteller in Sierra Leone is absolutely unacceptable. Yeah. You are a nobody. Yeah. You are nothing if you're not the... They don't recognize it. If, right. you're, if you're not an engineer, lawyer, doctor, right. what are you? <laughs> exactly. Then what are you? You know, yeah. you cannot talk here. Mm. So it took a while for me to accept that and then begin to declare that. Okay. It took me traveling internationally to different places to kind of validate mm. who I am. And I think this is, you know, I would say shamefully one of the issues we have in our educational oh, paradigm yeah, here. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We do not have an acknowledgement for a variety of gifts and talents that we have. Mm-hmm. So no wonder our roads, our gutters are blocked. Uh, Nobody clears them because people who would naturally do that kind of work and do it well, we don't value them. Yeah, absolutely. You see what I'm saying? Um, so you'll have somebody who's a doctor, who is a lawyer, who they say they're making all this money, but they have their houses, and you come to the houses, the finishing is appalling. Why? Because you've not trained and valued the carpenters and the masoners and all these other mm-hmm. people who should build your house safe yeah. and finish it well. So if you don't invest in them and value their own talent, 
No wonder you live in a crappy house. That's true. With all the money. No wonder you have a car that is so expensive, but when you try to run it on the road, it breaks down and you have nobody to fix it. Why? Because that local mechanic, you see him as not valuable, so you've not invested in time enough to train them so they can take care of your valuable car. Mm. So why would you bring a limousine in, in Sierra Leone? Why would you bring a Hummer? It's a waste of money because nobody can repair it here. Mm. The roads are bumpy. Why? Because we have not valued those very people who are the ones and engineers who should make the road. And this is the flaw of our educational paradigm. You know, <coughs> so we want to eat. But if you don't value the farmer, how the heck are you going to eat proper food? Exactly. You want vegetables to eat healthy? If you don't value the woman who grows the carrots and, the, and all those other vegetables, you are not going to eat healthy. So now we eat chicken that is seriously poisoned and have all these different chemicals in it, shipped <coughs> from God knows what country, mm. that's taken months out there and brought to Sierra Leone, and we're eating it. And now we're getting obese, and now we're getting diseases that are affecting us. When we could invest in our own locally I grown stuff. Yeah. But if you don't value those, this is the kind of narratives that we're having. If you don't value that person who runs a poultry, that people who do their, who runs their local uh, um, grocery um, stores and, so, and see the value in that, no wonder we are where we are in yeah. our country. We don't have a maintenance culture and I think the problem is, is what you've just said, we don't invest in. We don't invest in it. Yeah. Now, because that you know, earlier on, I was, you know, I was mentioning to you that I was going to give a talk on deserving. Right. You know, um, then we got to ask ourselves, what do we deserve? Mm -hmm. What do we deserve? It's important that we ask ourselves that question. What do we deserve? Do we deserve good entertainment in Sierra Leone? If we do, are we going to invest in it? You see? Do we deserve um, 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 good health? Are we going to invest in it? You know, do we deserve talented young people, intelligent young people? Are we going to invest in their schools? Right. You see, because if we, if we have a deserving mindset, mm -hmm. this, this is not even a question asked. Yeah. It's a done deal. It's as simple as that. But I, I am one who truly just have come to see that our elders before us did not believe and many still today do not believe <coughs> that our young people deserve and that our people living up country and places with, and most places like this deserve that they deserve safe roads yeah that's true that their lives are that important so when you drive along many of our roads there are no reflectors in the middle of the roads so that you can drive safe right. you drive at night the lights are all blaring in your faces mm. don't tell me the ministers do not <coughs> drive through this road of course they do of course they do mm -hmm. So, do you understand? If we deserve this, why don't you include that? Now, leave that. Go to water supply. Deserving. So, I see children in the streets getting water 2 o'clock in the morning. From gutters, they're getting water. Do we deserve? Do these children deserve? This is all this. I think this is so important. We ask these kind of questions. Do we deserve? And, and so, my challenge at that time in accepting myself as a storyteller was at the back of my head. What do I deserve? My, 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 my um, understanding of what I deserve was so low. So low. So when people call me, hey, we just can't beat butter for you know, Bobo. Can't beat butter. I'm like, exactly. 
They act as if they're doing you a favor right. when you're providing a service. When I'm providing a service. That's, will you that's just the problem here. Right. That's but will you go and call a plumber, just come and plumb? Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. But you call me and the service I provide is will heal you. True. At least what I provide as a storyteller. Right. I will heal you because I will I will rearrange your narrative for you in your mind to help you see things better. And plus it's an experience. You're going away with different thoughts to how you were prior to Absolutely. the experience you've given them. So like during this time of like um, self-exploration, what would you say or who would you say was your support system? Because you said your dad wanted you to um, go on the more conventional route. Uh, you didn't mention your mother, but you said mm. that there were some elders who were very supportive. Who would you say like was your rock during this time? And like when you were just discovering your talents uh, as I a think young person? As a young person, it was without a doubt, Dennis Elson Streeter. Okay. Dele Charlie. Um, these were mm. people totally outside of my family context. These were all theater people. Okay. Um, they were my rock. Um, were they here in the UK? Um, here. Oh, okay. They were okay. here in Sierra Leone. Uh, I mean, Dennis Streeter, my God, what a man. Um, Dele Charlie, you know, then Charlie Hafner. Oh, um, yes. These people were rocks to help me understand and believe that what I was doing made sense mm. um, because nobody else mm. seemed to. Especially at that time. Mm. Yeah. Now, not, especially not my family either. Um, so <coughs> um, it, took, it took a lot of, you know, I, I was just, uh, it's audacity basically. Mm. Um, the sheer audacity for me to say this is what I enjoy doing. Because when I eventually got a scholarship to go to America to go and continue drama, mm-hmm. again, it was out of the blue. I never was looking that I'll get a scholarship to go to America, but oh. uh, but it came while I was in St. Edwards. Oh. Um, then I was doing other drama stuff for the military um, here um, at Wilberforce here, the education center, okay. um, and we were doing I was doing workshops, drama workshops with some of the soldiers to train them to to uh, to kind of like provide secondary income, so that way they'll grow. You know, little vegetables in their backyards to help supplement, you know, their meager salaries that they were getting. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that kind of drama workshop, which, mm. which now I think about it, that is big stuff. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> you know, say, you know, I was what I was eighteen year old at that time. Wow, drama workshop and a business plan. <laughs> and exactly all in one. I was doing mm. all of this stuff. So, um, you know, I was fortunate to have people like these in my life. Uh, at that time but when I went to America of course you know I met wonderful people there then in Sierra Leone in London Mm -hmm. I met amazing people there from Ghana from Senegal and all who really gave me tremendous amount of support you know tremendous amount of support so I'm like so thankful for for those support Um, but you know support came from Dr. Nimata um, oh, okay. Yes. She's very supportive. Uh, Dr. Nimata was backbone for me, like backbone for me while I was in England. And she, you know, when times were rough, when I had nowhere to sleep, when I was sleeping out in the streets and so on, she was the woman who stood there for me and gave me all the moral support I needed. Um, my house here, if it wasn't for Dr. Nimata, I wouldn't have been able to buy this land and build this house. You know, you know, she just lives just behind here. Yeah. Right. But she was pivotal in p- 
pushing me and helping me and gaining belief and confidence in myself. Was this the lady at your premiere that you had in London? That's correct. Dr. Nimata, she came in last. Right. That's Dr. Nimata. She was the one. Then there's John Adewale, who's, you know, he's late now. But he's another man who taught me to be tough, Mm. you know, because he was tough on me, (laughs) you know. But he, you know, he never read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. He just, <laughs> <laughs> he just got on with it, you know. Goodness, but um, yeah, but you know, you, you need all of those in life. At the time, yeah. you don't see it as important. Mm-hmm. But eventually, as you grow, as you mature, you realize, boy, those were important times. Absolutely. You know, you realize uh, it was good. I had that man who taught me this, who taught me that, you know, and so on. So he was another pivotal person in my life okay. as well, um, John Adewale. And, you know, and along the way, I met so many other people from Senegal and, and South Africa. And, and I learned a lot from people from Burkina Faso. So, you see, sometimes you have, I, I, call what, I have two types of knowledge. Um, I, call, I call passive knowledge and active knowledge. Mm-hmm. Passive knowledge is where you begin to learn things that you don't think is important. You just think, all right, you know, it's just by the way, all right, it's fine. And then active is the one that you think, this is what I need right now. Bam, this is what right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, so I was getting a lot of passive knowledge. Um, for example, in, in, in Prince of Wales Secondary School, I learned Latin and, and so on and, and all this wonderful language. <coughs> to me, it was like, what am I doing with Latin? You know, why am I doing it French? Look, don't me, but give me limba, give me that, me language in that But um, but now as a storyteller, when I travel around the world and I speak, people listen because their mindset is there's an African drummer. Ah, the African drummer is he ready now? He you know, some that's their mindset. Right. And then I come on, and then I open my mouth and oh my days. They're not expecting that much knowledge from me. So then I take them to town in terms of going into their own culture and learning about them and and, 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 and showing them things about their own culture and their own history, which they don't expect. Of course. But that's passive knowledge which I'd had while I was going to school that I never thought I would bring to use. Whether I'm in India, wherever I am, there's a lot of these things. The movies I've watched, whether it's Bollywood movies or, <coughs> or Chinese movies, all of these come into play for me now as a storyteller. Mm. Um, the dances I learned from the Senegalese friends, from the Guinean friends, all of these are now coming now into play because when I'm doing my storytelling, I'll bring in a dance in there to get my audience excited. I'll bring in a song. I'll bring in different, different things in there. So I can relate to so many people all around the world. But this is because of passive knowledge that I now bring into play to become active at the right time. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, for me, as a storyteller, what makes my storytelling, I guess, that much more attractive, Mm -hmm. that... To experience me is almost a phenomena, if, if, I may, if I may use that phrase, that you live and not be the same. Transformation will happen one way or the other. That is for me when storytelling is powerful. Mm-hmm. When you come and you live 
and you think, I never saw Thursday like this at all. Yeah. Or are you still thinking oh, about absolutely. it on your way home or the next day? Some people that's years right. after, some people years after come back to me, I remember this story you told mm-hmm. years. And that's the impact. Come on, how many of we have watched, um, you know, some Superman movies or watched um, Lion King and all these kind of movies, right? We go away. We don't forget these movies. Yeah, yeah. the impact. Yeah. Right. And so it's the same way I see myself when I'm doing storytelling. That when I'm done with you, you will never forget my experience. Mm-hmm. You should not be the same as when you met me. Absolutely. Afterwards, facts. some transformation. Absolute facts. <laughs> I've seen The Calfoot Prince and I... Same, never, I saw yeah. him five years ago. Like, <laughs> you yes. don't forget it. You don't nope. forget it. It's an experience. <laughs> it's an experience. That's, that's important. It's, that's um, it's important. But again, the other thing I do with storytelling is... We've got to understand, I do two things with it. I dig deep and I go wide. Deep is go back to my roots. Mm-hmm. So whenever I come to Sierra Leone, I'll go up country. Mm-hmm. I'll spend time with my people. Let them replenish this well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. With new stories, with new songs. So I'll sit with them. We'll talk, we'll chat, I'll give them money, we'll buy drinks and so on. Because... Gosh, I value these people. Yeah. You know, I value them so much. They are the reason why I am the storyteller that I am. Okay. The stories they tell me are the stories I take on and open up because of my knowledge mm. that I have gained from another kind of education system. Right. So I'm now able to take their story and I'm able to give it a worldwide worldwide contemporary relevance that's key that's where we're able to take any aspect of our culture and give it a contemporary relevance Mm. you see it's important we do this otherwise we will not value much of the wonderful culture we have if we're not careful we'll just throw them away yeah I think that's the problem like in general like a lot of things are outdated they haven't been given this new kind of inte- um, contemporary kind of yeah view, so that's the kind of viewpoint to look at the Calfoot Prince kind of offers this makes it transformative and relatable and that was actually going to be my next question like what uh, what would you say is your muse like your stories is it a compilation of like your family dynamic or your upbringing or like what would you say sources your muse just your experience in general um I think wow I think generally my experience okay my experience as a as a as a young boy growing up and i feel that i can relate to so many people mm. i can relate to so many i've been through the dregs so if i sit with people who are down and out i've been there right you know i've been with wealthy people um i've been on an invite to the late king hussein of jordan so i've been royalty too in England, similar. So, I've been across the board. I don't like right. to use the word high and low. Right. I've just been across the board. So that experience is, you know, it fuels my stories. It informs my stories. So, so I tell a story, even if it's the same story that I told to children just an hour ago, when if I come to an adult audience and I'm telling that same story, this story will carry a different weight 
because of the audience that I'm meeting and their own experience. Right. So this is when I'm starting a story, a performance, it's important the rapport I'll have with my audience. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly important. There's no way I'll start a story without um, <coughs> letting my audience feel that they are free to contribute in the story. Mm -hmm. You see, you're very interactive. Yeah, yeah, it has to be that way. Mm -hmm. This is African storytelling. African storytelling, you know, you halfway, then they'll ask you a question. It's not one person. Yeah. It's not one person. It's all of us telling the story. It's, it's a different ballgame to how Europeans storytelling tends to go. You sit down, once upon a time, there was Jack and all <laughs> this stuff, you know. <laughs> that is. What did you say? There was Jack and There was Jack. <laughs> Now, I'll tell you that story. I'll tell you that Jack and the Beanstalk story. Maybe that's what oh. I'll. Maybe that's what we'll end with. Okay, um, I haven't asked for a story. So okay, at least that we know that's coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll end with that story. Um, yeah. But so digging deep is once you go deep, mm -hmm. that is also my muse as well. That I am able to go down and sit with those people of old, and many times I'll lay back here. And just think of my grandmother and I'll think of all of them and I'll have conversations with them. Now, that's an interesting point because when I talk about that, most people, hey, boy, now it's now now juju business. But it is incredibly important that we have this conversation with our ancestors. It is stupidity, and I'll repeat it, it is stupidity if we think our ancestors are gone. And no longer here. Nothing is more stupid than that. And I say it so emphatically. Europeans who've come and give us the Bible, they tell us, call Jesus. How many years did he die? They go, over 2,000 years, right? Mm -hmm. And they're still calling his name, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it because they think he's alive? And they say it, right. he's alive, right? Mm -hmm. Islam, Muslims, they do the same thing. They call on before this one of the isn't it? Right. right. And they say peace be upon him. If he's dead long ago, why does he need peace be upon him? No, it's because they also believe. believe he's alive. Read all the books. The books are telling you that those people will be woken up again. What does that tell you? They're not dead. But it's an ancient African story. We knew this long time ago. That energy does not die. That's true. What we are is energy. Mm -hmm. Human beings, this flesh is just what we've borrowed from this earth. But our essence is energy. Energy does not die. And if energy does not die, therefore my ancestors are not dead. They are alive, as it says in the poem. The dead are not dead. They are alive. They are in the cries of our children. They are in the rustling of the leaves, in the blow of the wind. The ancestors are there. Are we listening? Are we tuning to them? We're throwing it away and we're calling some other things else that do not have no bearing with us whatsoever when you could call the one that is running in our dna you see because you call your ancestors if you begin to call them oh they are witches or they are backward they this guess what you're telling yourself you're backward yeah. because that's what's running in your dna and this is the kind of narrative we need to really change around <clears throat> And begin to understand the value of all of these people that have gone before us. And when we do that, trust me, the stories we'll come up with. I mean, what has made Black Panther so popular? Right. Yeah. Every time we come up with something, it's blockbuster. Mm -hmm. 
And even within that, they have a segment with the ancestors, don't they? Of course. I think so. Yeah. Of course. That segment with the ancestors where you're buried. Yeah. Right? And then they say you go back to meet the ancestors and they come back. What are you telling us? How many people really understand that? Now me, I'm a society man. All right? So I understand very well what is going on there. Mm-hmm. Very well I understand what is going on there. Okay? Right. Um, the, the women in Wakanda, the soldiers, where did they get that story from? From the Daomi Amazon women in Kingdom of Daomi. These were women who were soldiers, fighters, who would defend their king against the French invaders. And these <coughs> women were fearless. They were absolutely ferocious fighters. They were there. Let's leave that one. Go to Ghana. Yaha Santua, who fought against the British to save the Golden Stool, fought hard and kicked ass until she was arrested and then sent to exile in Seychelles Islands. Right. So we've had ancestors like this. And you want to tell me, when I want to call an ancestor for strength, I must call some white person? Nah. I'm not going to do it. When I want an ancestor for strength, I'll call Yasantua. She understands my struggle. I'll call Baibure to my table of conference. He understands my struggle. Because Baibure, first African nationalist hero, boy, he stood up to fight for our own self-determination. Yeah. That's what Baibure stood up for than the song, Baibure was a warrior, he fought at Great Bridges, the Bridges made him surrender. No, when I need somebody who needs to stand to help me to understand and resistance and stand up for my own integrity, I'll call Baibure. He understands my feeling. I'm not going to call no white people. They fight, they fight for their own. God bless them. But I'll call my own. I'll call Shaka Zulu. Brave, 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 brave king. Fantastic ruler. Was he brutal? Yes, he was brutal. But sometimes if I need that kind of brutality against somebody who's going to come and mess about with my land, absolutely I'll call Shaka Zulu. Because like, just like Chino Achebe says in Things Fall Apart, if somebody comes and shits in your house, what do you do? You cover your face? No, so I'll take a stick and break your head. If I need that kind of ancestor spirit to come in, I'll call Shaka Zulu. I'll take a spear and shove it up your rear end if you start messing <laughs> up with my land. <laughs> But this is the kind of audacity we need to be having yeah. if we're going to take care of our own. Will mm. you go to China now and start messing around in the end of their forest? Eh, we'll right. Why are they coming here and then messing around with our forests? Well, that's a good question. Very good. You see what I'm saying? Right. So this is the time when we need to be sitting back and calling on those ancestors who fought for us. Mm. I'll call on Thomas Sankara. I'll call on Patrice Lumumba. I'll call on Stephen Biko. I'll call on many of these, these great, great ancestors who've been before. So when I lay on my bed here, when I want to have my conference, I'll call on these people. And gradually they will give me the answers. They'll explain everything to me, what I need to know. It's that simple. But we are afraid of them. Mm-hmm. And it's insane. All they want to do is guide you. They can see much further of the level where they're at. And they'll guide you. But we're losing all of that. So we're running around like headless chicken. We're looking for it in Sokoto when it's in our Shokoto. (coughs) You see, so for me, I think it's very important as a storyteller. When I go on stage, I don't go on my own. I go on stage with my ancestors. It's their stories. So you see me, I'm here. When I go on that stage, don't mess with me, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, when I go on that stage, I'm not there alone. I'm there with a huge battalion of ancestors whose stories I am telling, and they will do everything to make sure the information is pulled through. So, um, with that, I have no fear. I have no worry. I go on stage with that full confidence mm-hmm. that they have put me in this position and they were ready to rock and roll. I love that. On that note of the stage, so you recently, um, actually, I don't think it's recent. It's been like the past two or three years, right? You've recently started the National Storytelling, Storytelling Festival here mm. in Sierra Leone. Mm. So, yeah, tell us a bit more about that. National Storytelling Festival um, was started because it's been a long dream to revive storytelling here in Sierra Leone. And, um, and, and it was a shock for me when I went to country one time in, in Mendelein particularly. And I said, let us do storytelling. Let's compete. Limba story versus Mindy story. And I was the only one who told traditional storytelling with the songs and all. Mm-hmm. Nobody came up to tell any Mende story with the songs. A place where Salia came from. And so what kind of stories did they tell? They told stories of the war. And these are all like the joke, joke stories. Yeah, of course, those ones. That's what they told. Now, there's I was... joke stories about the war. Oh yeah, there's so many jokes. Yes, of course, there's, oh, there's so many jokes there's like so many those. Jokes. Why would you joke about that? Well, long sleeve, yeah, short I mean, sleeve, and you, they, to you know, the yeah. So they just laugh. That's the stories they told. Now yeah. I was in horror. Like what? Mm. That's it. Our story doesn't begin with trauma. Mm-mm. That's the thing. You see, so I had to go back and say, look, we got to do something to bring in. Um, set up something that will begin to revive these stories. Mm-hmm. So National Storytelling Festival was born. Um, thankfully, I met Patriotic Advocacy Network, um, Antumana Keta, who I, after working with them for over a year, I felt I could entrust the idea to them. Okay. And, um, and they have been spectacular. Yeah, um, yes, in producing the whole thing. So... Um, so that's how it's gone on like this, and we've got the schools involved. Now I want to take it now across the country. Okay, fantastic. Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, our final question before we hear your story is, uh, what has been your favorite performance ever? <gasps> <laughs> but you didn't think about that one. Anywhere in the because you've you performed in Peru, you performed in India, you performed in Jordan. What has been your favorite performance till date? Oh, my days. She caught you off guard. Eh? I know, right? I love when I do that. Let me think the one that paid me good money. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The reward you got for providing a service. I rest my uh, case. You know what? I was trying to recall what did you say? Oh, Lord. It doesn't necessarily have to be the one that paid you the most. You know, the one you just enjoyed, regardless of. Regardless, all the ancestors were on stage with you. Well, I tell you what, um, I tell you what, really, and God knows I've performed so many, but right. I think my new show, okay. One Cow Rachel, okay, have been it's been four years in the making, mm. and I performed it for the first time, um, this past October, November, I performed it, and <laughs> it's you know I had other other storytellers <coughs> on stage with me, but I think it's my favorite performance for many for a long long time. Okay. Um, because it's to see a story that means so much to me. Mm. It means so much to me, this story. Um, certainly just being unveiled and to bring in other storytellers that all told the stories that I wanted to tell within this story and just to see it happen, come alive 
okay. was amazing. That's nice. Um, and yeah, I think that's been a favorite for me for a long time, as much as I do all the others, which I thoroughly enjoy, obviously. But I think this piece, One Cowry Shell, is meaningful, deeply, okay. deeply meaningful for me. That's good. You know, and, um, and, and I'm going to be, you know, doing other performances in the summer. Oh, one okay. car shell, I'm gonna be taking it on tour. Okay, in the UK or well in the UK initially. Okay. But I do wanna take it um um around the world, anywhere on tour. I think uh, it's a story black people have got yeah, to Yeah, absolutely have got to really watch and okay. listen to. Oh, I'm excited for you. That's fantastic. <laughs> Great. Okay, so tell us the story. Leave us wild. You wanna hear Jack and the Beanstalk? Yes, yes, Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> well mm-hmm. um now you all know you know Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah. You know the story. Yeah. All right. So, you, so you, but you don't mind me just repeating the same. Yeah. Thing, no, right? sure. Good. Okay. I'll try Wait, quickly. Sorry. Through. How long is the story? I relax. This is a story. <laughs> it's a story, please. You don't worry yourself about how long is a story. <laughs> hey. Sorry. Acha. <laughs> well, Jack, as you all know, and his mother, they were both of them were very poor. You know, broke, grown was dry. You know, things went off. And, um, you know, mom says, look, Jack, go sell this cow, man. This is too much. This cow just shits and eats. Just go sell the thing. Let's get some money. Jack is going. Meets this man, gets, uh, you know, exchanges for some beans, and then the cow was gone. Jack comes home, and mom, the Lord, that man, she was kind of like, about this wire, so. <laughs> suddenly, get some beans for my cow. Took mm. the beans, threw them out of the window. Jack went to sleep, you know. In the morning, Right? And the bean was right up the sky. Jack, curious boy, got up, looked at it, climbed up, got to the sky. What did he see? Giant. <coughs> no. Castle. The castle. Mm. Saw the castle and thought, damn, what a mighty castle, man. Wow. Wonder what's here. So as curious as Jack is, you know, he's a poor boy. He's never seen a castle like this before. Went in there and he met a woman in there. And um, then, of course, he saw a golden goose, right? And the golden nap and so on. Thinking, damn, boy. You know, so the woman felt for Jack. He's a very poor boy. He's very hungry. Fed, fed him Jack. Ate well, licked his fingers. God knows, maybe it was bitter leaf and or bono that he even fed the boy or some shokoto yokoto. But Jack licked his <laughs> finger well. He's never eaten such healthy mangoes and stuff like that. And um, anyway, later on, Giant was on his way coming back. And woman says, hey, Bobo, my husband is, uh, you know, you got to hide. So woman hid the boy, right? And Jack, he... Giants came in, realized, mm, wait a minute, <coughs> something smells very, very, very fishy here. What is this? Fee, five, four, four, my smell, the blood of an Englishman, be he dead, be alive, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. Woman says, look, you've been drinking your mole again, all right? Whatever you've been drinking, please, just take it and go. There's nobody here at all. Repeat it again. <gasps> Fee five four four. My smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he dead, be alive. I grant his bones to make my bread. Look, there's nobody here. Please go to sleep. All right. Stop all this chak chak business. Mm-hmm. So of course he went to sleep, only to wake up. When his harp woke him up, say hey, Wahala has come. Oh, somebody has taken your golden, your golden egg and your golden goose. Hey, Jack. <clears throat> exactly. Jack had taken this stuff, and Jack is running. Giant came out chasing Jack. Chasing Jack, chasing Jack, chasing Jack. Jack went down this tree. Giant followed on. Jack called his mother, chopped down. Boof. Giant died. Question. 
think about it as a child listening to that story who did you have empathy for well jack at the time even though he is a murderer mm-hmm. yeah i can't remember how it felt at the time and now i have empathy for the the big man yeah okay so now let's flip this story because initially we all had empathy for jack right right now flip this story let's tell it from the giant's point of view i am a giant i'm so strong i'm fit I'm not afraid of hard work. I work hard and I've built my castle. It's my castle is standing strong. I walked and I've got gold. I've got all this wealth. I've given my house. I even got a harp that plays magical, that can talk to me. It can inform me anything that can entertain me. I have it all here. My wife, beautiful. She's there. She's lovely and she'll cook whenever I come. She'll take care of me whenever I've come back from a hard day's work. And I'll come back. One day when I came, I smelled something really funny. Something was different. I asked, I said, sounds like there's an Englishman in here. But my wife said, no, 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 there's nobody at all. But I believe my wife. So I went to sleep, only to be woken up. And then I saw this boy running away with my gold. Running away with my gold. So I chased this boy so I can get back my gold. He climbed down a tree that I'd never seen up here before. So I followed suit. And on my way, as I'm going down, they cut down the branch, <coughs> they cut down the tree, and the tree fell down, and I died. Now that's the giant story. Right. Question. Of course, if I tell the story, who do you feel empathy for? The giant. The, the giant. giant. Yeah. So the question is, who is Jack? A thief. He's a thief. What kind of thief? child thief. <laughs> it says specifically. A lying thief. The giant says specifically who the thief is. Englishman. Oh my days. The shade. Oh <laughs> my <God>. The shade. <laughs> wow. And thus ends the cow footprint. Right? It tells you. No, but one last question. Oh, one last question. One last question. And this is usually the difficult one. Um, who is the giant? Us. Society. No, us black men. Latinx. Us. <laughs> black people. Yeah. And this is, when I ask this question before, people find it so hard to answer. Mm-hmm. It's us. Who has the gold? It's us. Diamonds. Bauxite. You keep naming it. It's us. So they come in. So they're telling us a story about how they've come into our place and stolen our stuff and they've called us giants with clubs who will grind bones to make bread that we are cannibals and so on that's what they've told us so we don't even accept we are giants because that image that they've given to us so we can't see this giant but they understand we are giants that we are bigger we're stronger they know it so they don't they don't lie to you this when i talk about in storytelling why it's so important you learn to pick the truth from the lie. Mm, and the perspectives as and well. The perspectives. Yeah. Turn it from the giant's perspective, really. Voila. I never thought of it like that. Right. When we understand these stories, we'll empower ourselves. This is why storytelling is so, so important for me. I agree. I agree too. Whew, Thank wow. you so much. Thank you so much, Carl Footprint. I um, <laughs> couldn't have asked for a better uh, ending, guest, honestly, you know? a better oh, wow. ending. Damn. <laughs> 
So, okay, so we usually let our interviewee um, plug any of your socials. Do you have an upcoming show that you would like uh, listeners to know about so they can attend? And drop your social media accounts, your website, so they can also follow. Website www.usifujalo.com. My Yusifu is spelled U S I F U. Jalo, J A L L O H. Yusifujalo.com. Um, Facebook is the same name, Yusifujalo. Instagram is the same name, um, Yusifujalo. Um, but if they put cow footprints, mm-hmm. it will come up. everything come will come up. up. So everything is all linked together. Okay. And um, now got to, people cannot put crow foot, all right? Absolutely, oh, yeah. put crow foot. All right. What is wrong with people? Cow foot. Cow, as in cow, all right? Jeez. Cow footprints and everything comes up. Um, uh, in terms of my shows, I say one cow Rachel will come up in this in the summer, mm-hmm. uh, most likely at Akola Theatre. I'm doing oh, three okay. shows there um, of um, of the one cow Rachel, and then hopefully at the Golbenkian in um, in Canterbury. Okay. So, um, and I'm hoping once I take it from there, I should be taking it around um, uh, very soon. Okay. Um, but aside from that, I'm just going to be doing a tour in Peru once I go back, and then mm-hmm. I'm doing another tour in um, I'm doing a European tour in quite a lot of number of European countries. Okay. So that one will be difficult to follow me. Right. <laughs> yeah. So all the best. Good yeah. Sure. But definitely exciting. but in April there's Mambina Fest. Which oh. um which is gonna be here in Sierra Leone. Okay. Yeah, we'll in Kamakwe, and that's Kamakwe. massive. That's okay. this is the tenth year of that festival running. Oh, wow. So yeah, that is massive festival. Mm-hmm. It is cultural, cultural, cultural to the core. Okay. Right. Um, really, really wonderful festival. So Fantastic. that's in April. It runs like for about three days. Okay. Um, right up to April twenty seventh. So. If you don't want the congestion here in yeah in, for independence, come to Kamakuye. Okay, fantastic. Thanks yeah. for that. All right, okay, thank I'll you again so much. Yes. After end of my salon proverb. Okay, madam. <laughs> Someone mm-hmm. wants to close without the salon proverb. <clears throat> so the salon proverb is "get get no want 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 no get," and that is basically when you have you don't want and when you do not want. Wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. When you <laughs> when you have, you do not want, and when you want, you do not have. That's the proverb. And yeah, so if you'd like to catch Y Square Pod on the socials, we are Y, y Square Pod, and we are Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram. You know the spiel. Yeah. And until next time. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening. West Square Pod, West Square Pod, Nagalisti West Square Pod. West Square Pod, West Square Pod, Nagalisti West Square Pod.